0: We made this.
1: Hello and welcome to Frame to Frame, part of the We Made This podcast network. We are the podcast that take two seemingly unconnected films and slam them together like a falling star and a walking cadaver. I'm Andy Williams. And I'm Sean Wilson. And this week we've got a special guest on the podcast. We have the co-programmer and founder, or one of the founders, of the Forbidden Worlds Film Festival. As they're going into the the second version of The Big Scream, we've got on the podcast Anthony Neal. So welcome to Frame to Frame, Anthony. Hello. Thank you very much for making the time to come on with us. Uh, I know it must be an extremely busy time with the festival, less than a week away at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This time next week, it'll all be done.
1: I mean, how does that feel?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, So one of the things that we decided for this particular festival, so um, this is now our fourth. um, And we started off, we did a three-day festival. And then we did a three-day Halloween festival. Mm -hmm. And then for our big one in May, we then did a four-day festival this year. Mm Mm-hmm where we showed, I think, 19 films. Wow. Um, plus some short films as well, plus had various introductions and some guests.
1: Some, one particular lengthy introduction as well, I
2: remember.
3: Oh, which is awesome. Sir <laughs> Renny of Harlem, that was absolutely amazing. But memorable. Amazing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so basically, we, we then just kind of figured that because we'd done so much, and also this this thing where as soon as one festival ended, we had to start planning the next one. Because we would have six months and we would have to, you know, find 19 films, get in touch with the talent, uh, make sure we could get the rights to license them. All of the stuff that goes into the festival, um, just in terms of the programming side, let alone, you know, um, traders and, you know, all of that stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So we just decided that for October, um, even though it's called The Big screen, this would actually be a smaller screen of just two nights, um, after dark, as it were, beginning at 5, 6 p.m., three films uh, from the 80s and 90s, like a bam, 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 there's your entertainment, bam, 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 there's your entertainment, festival's mm-hmm. done. Yeah. So hopefully it shouldn't be quite so... I mean, obviously, the, you know, the, the people who attend love it, and they, they so many people get passes for the, the whole weekend. Mm. But for us, it's very, very, very tiring. So um, <laughs> this will be, you know, a bit nicer... <laughs> Hopefully, um, won't be so damaged uh, by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Cause
3: I remember talking to you, Ty and Tessa, after after the one in May 2023. Uh, we should say Ty and Tessa have both been on on the podcast well. And all three of you were understandably exhausted, and I said, so are you going to do another one? And you, all of you kind of looked at me and went... <laughs> so I'm really glad you brought it back. <laughs> Glutton's for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> um...
1: So, again, thank you for for coming on. Uh, People can still buy tickets. Um, Check the website for any ticket availabilities. Um, You can see it at uh, forbiddenworldfilmfestival.co.uk. The uh, website is within the show notes, so just click through and get your tickets, and you'll be able to see the latest availability there as well. So we've got two of the films that will be on at the festival, so people can come and see them on the IMAX. And Anthony, you've elected to go first to talk about a baptism of fire (laughs) um, onto onto Frame to Frame. So tell us a little bit about the plot of Night of the Creeps. So
2: Night of the Creeps is a comedy science fiction horror. And it begins in 1959 in space with a bunch of aliens, very rubbery aliens, Mm -hmm. in their spaceship. And then one of the aliens escapes, lands on Earth. At the same time on Earth, for some reason, there's an escaped lunatic with an axe mm-hmm. and various teenagers from a frat house. And all of this kind of combines. Oh, it's really hard to explain this bit. And this is just the <laughs> prologue. Um, so the alien crashes to Earth and it's able to possess the bodies of humans. Meanwhile, there's this axe murderer going on and all the rest. And then there's like some death and whatnot. And then, boom, we're in 1986. Hmm. There's a couple of nerdy teenagers who are trying to get into a frat house, but they can't because they're too nerdy. They're a bit weird, like the weird science kids. And for some reason, they find a lab in the university where they manage to unfreeze the teenager from the 50s who was possessed by the alien slug. And for some reason, they also decide that they will thaw him out, and then chaos ensues. This is all just (laughs) the first... Ten yeah. minutes or so, and then obviously there's another eighty minutes of shenanigans
1: of the, of, of, you know, interesting stuff. <laughs> Can I say
2: shenanigans is a
3: brilliant word <laughs> to describe what happens in this? Room. <laughs> well,
1: considering it starts in the fifties, it feels aptly appropriate. Yeah, yeah, it does
3: yeah, yeah. So it was both
1: Sean and I's first time watching this. So when we when we've had um, tie on in the past, I've had to. I've often been accused of not quite getting the register. Of the movies that uh, that have been elected, and what Deep Rising you mean? Yeah, no, I, I didn't still get wrong Deep about Rising. That. Yeah, still, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, sorry, I was expecting Titanic. Um... <laughs> it was advertised as Titanic meets <laughs> Aliens on the poster. Anyway, that's by the bye. Um, but then, as soon as in this prologue you saw the the rubbery aliens, I went, "Oh no, okay, I'm I'm completely on the register already. I know exactly where this is aiming to be." And for me, I just found it to be a very loving ode to sort of like a Roger Corman or a fifties schlocky sci fi. And it's cheesy and it's it's I, I actually find it quite funny. And it's got a certain element of horror in it as well. I, I had a great time. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Um Anthony, I know you've gone back to it for the pod. How yeah. how do you see it now? Um
2: it's, I think, yeah. I mean, th- there's, there's so much going on. I, I don't think anybody could ever say they were bored by it. Um, <laughs> well, I think you want to right about the, <laughs> um, the whole 1950s thing? I, I think like there was, there was a lot of nostalgia going on in 80s American filmmaking mm. during the the decade. Anyhow, obviously things like Back to the Future were harking back to the 50s. Yes. Um, I think a lot of the horror filmmaking that was going on, films like Gremlins, films like Killer Clowns from Outer Space. We're all harking back to the films which the directors had first seen on TV. Mm. And a lot of those were the Roger Corman films, or as we see in the film itself, Plan 9 from Out of Space, where yes. at one point some of the characters are watching that. Mm. Um, and Fred Decker, the director, who also wrote the screenplay, he's he said that the whole film was an homage to those films that he saw growing up when he was first becoming aware of, of cinema, um and fallen in love with cinema and and decided he wanted to become a filmmaker um and i believe that also he wanted to do the whole film in black and white originally to make that really explicit but all we get instead is the prologue with the um you know the 50s prologue in in black and white instead Mm.
1: yeah but sean you said you want a bet when you said no one could be bored are you telling me you were bored
3: I hate to say it, but yeah, um, I um, okay, Well, I really like the prologue, ironically the bit in black and white, because I thought, oh, okay, this is off to a good start, we've had the, the brief colour bit with the rubbery, squidgy, alien, space slugs get loose, land on Earth, they happen to land on Earth during the 1950s rock and roll era, I'm like, oh, great, okay, I like this, random axe murderer, and then the rest of the film starts, and I was like, <laughs> oh, Okay, and I think bearing in mind that you know I'm always slightly uncomfortable castigating a movie that I know is going to be put out like for a big audience at a a festival. This is just my. You are
1: also the minority here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and actually that's
3: worked out pretty well. So, so that means I can go full flight now and really not like it. So, um, so I don't feel as bad about it. I think what it proves is that horror comedy is among the most difficult things to get right in a movie. And in order for horror comedy to work, both ends of the spectrum, it needs to be properly horrific, and it also needs to be properly funny. But it's also a sense of that comedy can be horrifying and horror can be funny. I just think this is neither. I think that the Ooh. horror isn't scary, the comedy is really weird. I think there's a real there's there's a real lack of impetus behind the camera. I mean, in terms of when it tries to set up a joke. The movie ends up shuffling at the pace of one of its possessed space zombie slug creatures, and I'm like, you know, you really need to be sharper off the ball with your gags in this. No, um, I I can't remember the last time I disagreed with you this much. Really? Yeah. Well, well, it was probably on one of the ones that you dislike, but um, yeah, it's usually
1: yeah. you being the the voice of of positivity. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to switch that. Right. <laughs> switch. Something's stuck in your core. I I thought that it was a. Uh, a very clear sort of ode to old school horror. I mean, the the characters were name-checking famous horror directors, um, including George Romero, John Carpenter, uh, Sam Raimi, John Landis, uh, Toby Hooper, uh, David Cronenberg. Like, there was a, a whole host of, of name-checked directors in the film. And I think that that's pretty much the register of it when you think that it is taking existing generic conventions of horror and almost subverting them in in a comic way i think it was i think it was very successful in in
3: what it was attempting to do um i don't <laughs> i'll be honest about that uh i i mean for one thing this seems a bit of a weird criticism for a movie about space slugs coming down and, and possessing people but the plot didn't make any sense um, now that's a bit of a strange thing to say but it's like okay so what do these space slugs actually do so on one level they take over people who are already alive but then later on as it goes on oh they can resurrect corpses from graves as well so I mean that's one thing that David Cronenberg and John Carpenter would never have fudged there never would have been that vagueness about you know what, what does the central horror gimmick do oh it does that okay let's run with it in this, it's kind of like we need something to activate every everything and anything within the plot. What should we do? Space slug? Yeah, fine. And it's not enough just to have possessed people walking around with their heads splitting open. We also need people getting up from graves as well. And, it's, it's horrifying. Yeah. It's a horrifying image, and you got to think of when it was as well. It it, it definitely shows its age.
1: Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's part yeah. of the charm for me.
2: I mean, is there not also a a thing here where the plot is essentially in the same with the Hitchcock had his MacGuffins where, you know, nobody remembers the story behind North Mm. by Northwest. You remember the set pieces Mm. or you remember, you know, Cary Grant's performance or James Mason's or Martin Landau's. So in this, I I think what you've got with the plot is it's just a vehicle for Fred Decker to show his love of the genre for him to pay homage to the blob. Or to cast Dick Miller in a supporting role, like a lot of the uh, directors were doing at the time, because they'd seen in the Corman films. Or mm-hmm. to name check his famous directors, as Andy has said, um, I, I don't think anybody's really there looking to, you know, follow plot point A to B to see and you know to see how coherent that is. I think in the moment, mm-hmm. exploding heads and flamethrowers and yes. slugs <laughs> and all of that business—that's what it's about. It's, Absolutely.
3: I, I think the intentions of the movie are completely sincere and I do I do think it was a sincerely intention homage to the movies with which Fred Decker grew up. I just don't think the execution is there. I think that the the makeup effects are terrific and I think what it does remind me of is that prosthetics really hit their peak in the in the mid to late eighties. Oh, um, yeah. We've how many times recently have we said the word tactility? And this has got tactility, I'll <laughs> give it that. Yes. Yeah, it, it it feels Delightfully scrunchy at moments. Yeah, slimy, um, splattery, gooey. It, yeah. It's. I mean, I don't know. I mean, presumably you guys have seen the James Gunn movie Slither, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which, I, I, having watched Night of the Creeps, I'm like, wow, Slither took so much from this, and the, the whole space slug gets inside you and takes over. That really creepy idea. Well, I'm, mm. I'm assuming that because because James Gunn is obviously a student of these kind of movies. He is. He is. So, in with with all of this in mind.
1: How are you able to pick this kind of movie for opening a festival? Is it just a case of this will set the right tone of this is where we want to go?
2: I think it is to a degree. I think because this one has a lot of different elements to it. Like I said, you know, um, in trying to sum it up, you know, they, even in just the first 15 minutes, there's a lot going on.
1: Oh, it's so much plot. It's enough plot for like three movies.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But then also, you know, it, it crisscrosses genres, so it's a sci-fi film, but also it's a teen comedy. Mm. You know, it isn't that far removed from... I mean, well, actually, it is quite a bit far removed from, but it, there are certain elements which are similar to, say, Revenge of the Nerds, mm. uh, Weird Science that I already mentioned. So, you know, that, that the kind of John hughes kind of stuff that was going on. So you've got that going on as well. Then, obviously, you've got horror, and that horror works in various ways as well. So you have Tom Atkins playing the cop, Yes, who of course uh, was in films like The Fog and
3: um, mm. Halloween Three. He was in as well, wasn't he? The one about the killer dolls. The of course, of which, yeah. yeah, which yeah. I really like. I like that. <laughs> it's underrated. Mm.
2: So, so you you've got the kind of I mean, I wouldn't say it was serious. I mean, but his his kind of performance is so laconic, is so dry. Mm. Did you not find any humor in that at all, Sean?
3: Um, I. Up to a point, yeah, I found that, that, you know, there is... I mean, we need to be careful here because people will come and see this at Forbidden Worlds who might not have seen it. There is a development involving Tom Atkins' character, which I, I suppose one could say comes out of left field, but it does actually have a connection. But I'm like, yeah, but that just, that just feels like a bit of a distraction from all the space sluggy stuff, from all the gruey... So, I mean, yeah, Tom Atkins is 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 the one, who I think, who gets the register of it. I, I have to say, I found the central team performance is very, very underpowered and not satirically heightened enough for my taste. It's almost like the, the performances have been kind of dialed down from where they should have been. I think Tom Atkins gets the register. I mean, he's obviously a, a more, more experienced actor, uh, which makes sense.
1: I think you've got to look at, at what movies it was looking to take off. Movies like The Blob, movies like Plan 9 from Outer Space, those, the, the original thing, like those... 50s schlocky horror movies that's where this lineage lies and that's where these performances lie
3: and I think I think the performances needed to be more hysterical and more stylized and more over the top in order in order
1: to mm. attain
0: that so, I thought it should have So your main
1: criticism mm. of a Knight of the creeps is that it's too understated.
0: <laughs>
3: given the nature of the movie it's a bit strange but yes i think I think. okay just know, as long you, as we're all on the you, same you, page yeah. you hear you hear that that sound that's the nail that you just hit right on the head there <laughs> yeah um i did enjoy the presence of well there's david paymer the actor of david paymer who plays one of the um the, the scientists who's keeping the cryogenically frozen body Mm-hmm. um and um <laughs> he turns up you know as a result of the machinations of the two central characters who end up um thawing out that body david paymer ends up turning up briefly later on as an undead lot like, ghoul uh I, I did enjoy that i did enjoy the presence of dick miller because dick miller improves everything even in just a few minutes mm-hmm. um, in america they
1: call them character actors in britain we call them actors yes
3: <laughs> yeah I'm running adrift <laughs> on positive things to say now. Well, um, let's the... jump then to the, because
1: you've always got a, a positive thing to say about a score. So this was done by uh, Barry DeVorsen, who you may well know as the person behind the soundtrack
3: to Xanadu. Yeah, I was actually forgotten about that until you said it. (laughs) Um, There's no Xanadu in this. (laughs) I mean, he also did the ninth configuration (laughs) and the Warriors, but, you know, Xanadu's better. Um, The score is successful in its its intentions to sound like, to be a simulacrum of John Carpenter and the like. Uh, You have that steadily pulsating electronic beat. Uh, that is intentionally stripped of all humanity, which is appropriate given the themes of the movie. I think I think it's it's effective in in its pastiche nature. Would that the rest of the movie came up to that level? I mean, we should say that the movie is is produced by um, Charles Gordon, who was the brother to Lawrence Gordon, who enjoyed you know, huge success, the likes of Die Hard and, and Point Break and things like that. It's interesting, Ansi, you said that the whole film was originally going to be in black and white. If the whole thing had been in black and white, I think that might have transfigured it for me. That might have announced Mm. the satire of it more obviously to me. I think the problem is when it went into colour, it became just another late 80s sort of shuffling undead zombie movie that wants to throw back to other movies, but I didn't think did it particularly well um, I'm aware I'm, I'm coming across as being really harsh here. Um, I should say that Fred Decker himself, and I'm really annoyed that he didn't collaborate with Shane Black on this because it would have been a Black and Decker movie. This um, <laughs> is um, that, that, that that came to mind when I was watching it, and I laughed at that. That's that, and, that, and that's my own joke. I so mean, that's... they they did
1: uh, team up for the Monster Squad in 1987. That's true. That,
2: that is, is a Black, and Decker, so
3: that a Black is, and Decker movie. So that is that is a fully a fully and, uh, up movie.
2: The Predator as well
3: oh mm. yeah that didn't work out very well um <laughs> yeah anyway I've been critical enough of, of been, but can I just quote Fred Decker here where he himself said it's an odd movie it is he, an odd he, movie he said that uh, himself I mean <laughs> i I agree it is an odd movie but it's
1: just not a bad movie <laughs> no <laughs> i i it, it's it's a little bit of everything it, I think it sets out it, it achieves what it sets out to do and you have to judge a film on its own merit's like I, I'm frankly astounded that, Anthony, you managed to get the name Hitchcock and North by Northwest in whilst we've been talking about <laughs> Night of the Creeps. He
2: also gets to um, Hitchcock uh, reverse zooms in the film as well, though, you know, from yes. Um, Psycho.
1: Mm, yes. I, so, I yeah, think I think, you know,
2: I think he had a bit of Hitchcock in mind as yeah. well, did Decker.
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's the when you look at, at what Hitchcock managed to do for thrillers and and. For horror movies especially with psycho then yeah he's he's still on that ram- mount rushmore mm. but um yeah i just i i quite enjoy how baffled sean is by most
3: things so <laughs> this being one of them i mean uh, if it's not um if it's not modern day technology and how young people speak it's night of the creeps <laughs> one thing or the other well um
2: mainly I want to ask um, it, it's, it's just to get an idea of the kind of comedy horrors that Sean does like considering that he thinks mm. it's so difficult um, but also if he could specifically talk about any from the same era as Night the Creeps because it could be that he just has a blind spot for you know, the kind of tone that they they would do in, in the 80s I mean obviously The Monster Squad Fred Decker's next film is uh, kind of an obvious one so yeah I was just wondering Sean in terms of comedy horror, which ones do you think do work?
3: That's a good question. Yeah, it's, it's a perfectly valid question. Well, we're going to switch positions, me and Andy, here, because I think Gremlins would be a high point of that. You mentioned Gremlins earlier, Anthony, and I know, Andy, you don't like Gremlins, um, whereas no. I think Gremlins is brilliant. So... In Gremlins, the comedy is genuinely anarchic and hilarious, but it is also genuinely nasty when it needs to be. And yet somehow, at least in my opinion, it amalgamates those two things. It goes to both extremes in it and it welds them together. I know, Andy, you don't think that. No. I mean, we see previous podcast, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, surely Beetlejuice is the one, well, right? I was just going to think Beetlejuice, yes. Um, yeah. I, I know you like Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yeah. um, Beetlejuice would be up there as well. You've said it three times now, so he's coming. coming. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen The Exorcist 160 times and it keeps getting funnier. (laughs) Um, But um, what else would... I mean, something like Evil Dead, uh, you know, obviously beginning of this decade, beginning of the 80s. I mean, Evil Dead's, I guess, different to the other two,
1: but the other two were far more um, high-budgeted, mainstream horror comedies, whereas... yeah i i I get the feeling that's that's not where we
3: are with night of the creeps well evil dead 2 i think evil dead 2 is probably probably a better example then for that can i just quote the um a review from um nigel floyd for time out where he also criticizes the sloppy direction um so i'm not the only one and at least i wasn't that harsh um i mean (laughs) yeah
1: where where do you sit on like Tremors and those lower budgeted versions and you know your brain damage and
3: these sorts of things? You mean brain dead? Um, no, uh, yeah. You mean the Peter Jackson movie?
2: No, no, no. Brain damage. The um, the Frank lotter film. The fellow who did Ooh. Basket Case that we showed um, last year.
3: Oh, I don't think I've seen Brain Damage. Apologies for that. I haven't seen Brain Damage. Um, I I really like Tremors. Tremors is terrific. Um, it's got Kevin Bacon and giant worms in it. What's what's not to like? And, uh, <laughs> it's, Unless it's Kevin Bacon has giant worms, in which case. Worms, in which case you need to take him to the vet. <laughs> so, um, no.
2: Speaking I, I, I... Of, of black and white films, so there were two films in the early eighties: uh, Forbidden Zone, which was like the ongo Bongo fellas making their own little weird homage to the fifties. Which Danny was kind of. A... Elfman.
3: Oh, yeah, That's it. About... Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, and then there was also Nothing Lasts Forever, which is now a very hard film to see, but was shown once on the BBC in the 90s, and this had um, Zach Galligan from Trum is in it, plus various cameos from people like Bill Murray, and that again is throwing back to earlier films the whole thing's black and white, this is before the polish of like Tim Burton doing Edward, Mm. so these are scrappy films, and I think Night of the Creeps is in that kind of areas closer to those than it is to the spielberg films or even to tremors which i think you know had enough money going for it that you wouldn't call it low budget
1: you know yeah well creeps was i I, it took me a little while to find exactly a a budget for it but it was budgeted around about five million dollars um and at the box office uh it's total gross across all releases worldwide is five hundred and ninety one thousand. So it's it was not a financial hit. Um mm. but that as as we've mentioned, it wasn't the end of, of Fred Decker's career at that point because he went on to, to make the Monster Squad in nineteen eighty seven with um Shane Black, who is, is I mean, we've covered some Shane Black work before with Lethal Weapon. We also did the other guys. No, the nice guys, didn't we, Sean? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I made that no, we, exact we issue do... because
3: <laughs> The other the other nice guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I made that exact like problem and, and watched the wrong movie. <laughs> <You> <laughs> did. It's such a generic title, but a great film. Yes. Can I just say in in reference to Night of the Creeps, I do I do want to stress there is a real even irrespective of what I think about the film, there is a real pleasure in watching practical prosthetic makeup effects being deployed by a film by a director like fred decker there is because the same year as this chris wallace won an oscar for the fly uh, mm. we've spoken about the fly on this podcast and it's some of the most extraordinary makeup effects ever in the year after you had hellraiser which is um, you know at the time that we we're recording this is getting a 4k re-release in cinemas i do want to stress that i do really enjoy that yes um but you know, maybe when harnessed slightly more effectively, just from my point of view.
1: But the beauty um, of films is that people, you, like, you can go to the same screening and get different experiences. Like, we've we've yes. each talked about the same movie and spoken about three different ideas of it. So, um,
2: And then there's also the thing as well. And this is one of the things that we really do find yes. at the festival, which is it's always a different experience when you watch it with an audience. Mm-hmm. Yes. especially this type of film as well, which generally encourages a vocal reaction from the audience.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Anthony. What is it about horror and cult sci-fi and thriller movies that you think works in a communal live audience like that?
2: Hmm. I think there there is that thing of the kind of the snowballing of it. Is, is, I think there's a the thing that as soon as somebody jumps, for example, or somebody laughs or somebody, you know, breathes in. Um or when I watched Nope uh with an audience, there was a bit where you know what they think the aliens have come into um the stables.
3: Oh yes, yeah. And
2: um he punches the alien. yeah And then it's revealed that it's not actually an alien.
3: It's a And somebody did a
2: really nervous laugh after that because they'd obviously been really, really tense. And that then kind of triggered everybody else in the audience to then... It was okay for them to like vocalise their yeah. reaction to the film. And the film became much more enjoyable by that point because you kind of felt that everybody was together. Yeah. So I think I think there's some of that... Um, I don't know if either of you went to our screening of The Tingler that we did last yes. Halloween.
1: Yeah. I didn't, know. That was
2: so amazing. F- for this one... And again, this is harking back to 50s B-movies and all the rest. So we have William Castle... Who wasn't quite Roger Corman, but in a similar kind of school of of filmmaking. But his thing was showmanship, and he would bring the showmanship into the auditorium itself. So when we did our screening of The Tingler, we um, literally went to the manual, the actual manual that was published for exhibitors on things that theater owners could do when they show The Tingler. So we had we had a fainter planted in the audience. <laughs> And they, you know, ran down the stairs and they they screamed and they they fainted right in front of the screen. Me and Ty were dressed up in white coats. We came up with a stretcher and <laughs> stretched her away. A tingler emerged from the shadows and went over the screen. Now, whilst all of this is going on within the film itself, you've got Vincent Price, who's the lead actor in the film, telling the audience that a tingler is loose. And they have to do this, that, and the other, and, you know, be calm. And basically, the way you get rid of a tingler, or you um, paralyze a tingler, is by screaming. So he basically implores (laughs) the audience to scream. Brilliant. And everybody in the audience screamed. And that kind of communal, I mean, this is obviously like a writ large thing, because, you know, it's actively encouraged um, that everybody screams at that point but that sense that everybody at the same point decided to do that because we were worried that you know potentially uh, people would think we were possibly w- ruining their experience by being silly buggers during you know the the final stages of the film hmm. but everybody was into it and i think that that sense of knowing that the other you know 150 200 people who were in the room with you are all feeling the same thing is just a wonderful thing and we looked at um, reaction online afterwards, and there were some people who said, you know, the film wasn't great, the plot wasn't brilliant, all of these kind of things. But they had the best cinema experience they'd ever had in their life, <laughs> because it had that, you know, the, this, this group thing going on. So I, I think that's, that's what it is. Obviously, the, the Tingler is an extreme example. But if you've got everybody jumping at the right places, laughing at the right places, and all of that kind of thing, then, you know, that's a a wonderful thing to be sat amongst.
1: Well, we're going to move now to the end of the festival. We're going to jump to the the final movie that you're going to show, um, which was released in 1987, starring the the, the star of Twin Peaks, uh, a damn fine actor, if we do say so ourselves, Kyle McLaughlin in... The Hidden. So, Sean, tell us a bit about The Hidden.
3: Yeah, not to be that person. It was a few years before Twin Peaks, but I know what you mean. Um, oh, come on. Sorry, that's just, being, just being pedantic. <laughs> so, that's what he's um, most famous for. Give, yes, me, a, give is, me a break. Fair, yeah, yeah. A year after Blue Velvet, but just before Twin Peaks. But yeah, you're right. So He's still um, a damn fine actor. He is still a damn fine actor, and I think he's very good in this. So, um, directed by the magnificently named Jack Shoulder, we have, starting off, Uh, We have a a man called Jack DeVries, a person with no criminal record, goes absolutely hog wild in Los Angeles Bank, um, kills several people and then engages in a um, massively extended and I think actually quite well staged uh, car chase sequence. Um, This appears to be completely senseless. And he's then shot, he crashes his car, he's taken into hospital. At the same time that Detective Thomas Beck is greeted in his department by fbi special agent lloyd gallagher played by carl mcclucklin beck is played by uh, michael Nori. and effectively gallagher is a man on a mission because he reveals to beck that Devries, the man who has just been uh, taken into police custody in the hospital is a is a person whom he has been tracking for a very for a very long time and again, I need to be careful about how much of the plot I give away with this, bearing in mind this is the last film of the festival. I don't necessarily want to give it away. Yes, um,
1: there there are developments that occur that um, we will be unable to, to explain on the podcast. So we're going to try and talk about them without directly talking to them, I guess.
3: Well, I was going to ask about that, because one of the things about this movie is it gives away a huge plot development within the first 15 minutes, and I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. There's a scene in a hospital mm. um, where, I mean, I think because this occurs very early on, I think I can give this bit away. I think that's the premise.
2: Yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, also, it just it just ties in with Night the Creeps as well, doesn't it? Because it's essentially yes. the same thing.
3: Yes, it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true, actually, yeah. So Gallagher reveals that he's been on the trail of Devries for a while, or is Devries at his actual identity? And then uh, we cut back to the hospital, and Devries wakes up, and he takes off his life support. He approaches the man in the next bed called Jonathan Miller. A giant space slug then emerges out of DeVries' mouth, <laughs> enters Miller's mouth, and then you realize, oh, okay, so what we're dealing with here is some kind of um, hideous alien and parasite space slug which connects it back to Night of the Creeps in a thematic way, which effectively takes over people's brain stems and turns them into complete raving, murderous sociopaths, and effectively this alien slug thing informs the host of exactly what it wants and the possessed individual will then go after that thing no matter who stands in its way no matter who gets hurt no matter who gets killed and effectively um the two central characters played by karma and michael nori end up almost on the path not quite a shapeshifter but a creature that takes on the the persona of whomsoever it wants and what you then get is a paranoid, I think rather lean and rather well-paced sci-fi thriller in which part of the pleasure is, for one thing, watching the the sheer oddness of, of Karl McLaughlin in the role of the slightly fey, slightly quirky FBI agent and then you have Michael Norrie's relatively more hard-boiled, tough-nosed performance, which contrasts with the actors who play the possesses, who are evidently having an awful lot of fun acting as people who have no inhibitions whatsoever. This alien has turned off all their inhibitions. Everything's up for grabs, you know, murder, theft, grand theft auto, robbery. And the two, the, the, the cop and the FBI agent basically have to jump into action to prevent this thing from leaping from one body to another. And that's as far as I'm going to go with the plot. Um, it's actually quite difficult to talk about <laughs> without well, kind of not going any further. So, you know, going into to
1: what I mentioned earlier was that sometimes I get the registers of the films wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was watching. Oh, okay, this is this is different for Forbidden Worlds, and. Then when the the slug moment happened, oh, right, okay, now I get it. Now I understand. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, But Anthony, how how did this film come about?
2: I would like to say that it was very intentional, that our opening and closing films both involved uh, body-possessing, slug-like aliens and flamethrowers, and they also (laughs) share the same editor as well, I found out um, earlier, spotting the same name on the credits, but all of that's just purely an accident. Um, <laughs> we just picked films that we liked. Um, I should say, so that Night of the Creeps was picked by Jim, who does um, our posters.
1: Because
2: mm. uh, we've now said to Jim, because he does so much amazing work for us, that he can program one film. Which he does. Per I a mean, festival.
1: The, the look of the posters that you've had, especially you know, going back to the one uh, you had in the summer with King Kong, uh, mm-hmm. la- laden over them as well. And the, the work Jim does generally... Uh, mm. he's, he's brilliant. But yeah, the work he does for you guys as well is just it's just astounding.
2: Um, so, so basically, he just gave us a little short list of, you know, it would be great if you could show one of these films. And then um, just in terms of sorting out licenses, all the things like that. Uh, night of the Creeps was the obvious one from those. And then The Hidden was one that I wanted to show. I just think it, it's very much like a Friday night, Saturday night kind of film. Um, it's a VHS favourite, so I think one of the one of the things which is also worthwhile talking about in terms of the festival is that for a lot of people, the films that we show will be the first time that you've been able to see them on a big screen mm. because a lot of them were only discovered during, um, you know, kind of like post-theatrical on VHS, on TV, on DVD. Um, mm. Obviously, Blade Runner, which we showed uh, the first year, that one's had plenty of theatrical re-releases and continues to get them. So that one's not quite in the same boat, but generally everything else. Um, if you didn't see The Hidden for however long, I mean, I can't even remember if it played cinemas here or not. I only became aware of the film when it was on VHS. But if it did play cinemas, it was it was probably, you know, you had like a week or two in which to see it, and that was your chance. Yeah. So to be able to see it now, you know, that always informs the decisions uh, that we make, for these. And then yeah, it's it's just it's serendipity that there are certain thematic plot points which match between the two films, which are also, you know, the two films that you've chosen for the <laughs> podcast as well.
1: Well, we, we like to have them connected in a way that you wouldn't necessarily think um, so it's all pre-planned. <laughs> we plan once. We plan it literally a week in advance. <laughs> so you mentioned it was a, a favorite of yours. Um, yeah. This time around, how did it? How did it land?
2: It's yeah. I I, th- I think it's always tricky because you can never really recreate the you know the first experience. I think as well when I first saw the film, which probably would have been some time in the nineties. I would have been aware of it through the VHS cover, not really knowing anything else about it. Would have known Karma McLachlan was in it. I wouldn't mm. have known people like, you know, Danny Trejo and um, Lynn Shea and various other people who we've since become to know, they pop up in tiny roles. That was, I film. mean,
1: I was watching, I went, was that Danny Trejo? That was Danny Trejo. And, yeah, I went on. <laughs> I went on
3: IMDb almost straight away. Going, was it? Was, it? Was it? Was actually Danny Trejo. I, I, I did that with Lynn Shay. I was, oh, that's her from Insidious. I was like, there yeah, she is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so,
2: so yeah. So when I when I first watched it, I was just I was just very struck by how, like, I think like um, like you both said, just how lean it is as a piece of filmmaking. It's incredibly no nonsense. It doesn't, it's not lean in terms of, it's not scared to be over the top, as we see in the the opening car chase. Mm. The amount of bullets which are, you know, shot during this film is absurd. You know, it, it goes all in. The same with the score with the, you know, and the heavy metal music and everything else. Mm. It's, it's a very loud kind of brash film, but at the same time, it's very compact. You know, it just kind of tells its story. Bing, 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 bing. And there it is, you know. And, and also, I should also add that um, that was part of the the thinking for all of the films. Um,
1: for this festival well, the, the brevity
2: <laughs> basically yeah They're just just punchy you know 90-ish minutes entertaining essentially like the first thing that you would think of was was you know that was an entertaining film we're not really thinking about anything esoteric this time when we have a broader canvas when we do you know 18 19 films we can introduce a lot more into that yeah but because we're just having two nights um then it was kind of right let's just do kind of video favourites or reconsider films like we're doing with The Guardian, the, the forgotten William Friedkin film.
1: Yes, it's a great way to, to pay tribute to the man as well.
2: We just kind of figured everybody's going to show The Exorcist, which Fright Fest did, which various other festivals have Especially done. Especially now at
1: 50 years old as well. Like and that of course, yeah, now
2: there's the, the 50th anniversary, exactly. So we were like, let's, let's show the silly tree horror film.
1: <laughs> you know? um, but
2: also with that one because i can remember seeing that probably around the same time that i saw the hidden and just thinking it was very silly and bad and then we all watched it again recently as we always do when we choose to films. So we watch them as a group because we kind of hope that that collective enjoyment that we have watching it as a, as a small group will extend to you know 200 plus people mm. and it was still very silly but it was so entertaining. Probably, you know, the one of the most entertaining films that I've seen over the last few months when we revisited that. So we're, we're extremely excited to share that yeah. with audiences as well. Um, yeah. And like The Hidden, like The Guardian, maybe these are films, and like Night of the Creeps as well, maybe these are films that people just haven't been aware of either. Mm. And we would hope that now in the fourth festival that people can... You know, there's a bit of faith in our programming choices that they'll be like, I've never heard of this. I'm aware that Carl McLachlan's in it or it was directed by so-and-so. Yes. And I'll just go along and hopefully enjoy the ride.
1: Absolutely. And it, it's what I did. I, like I said, had no idea what it was about. And then when the moment came of the slug thing coming out of it, I was oh, okay, this is where we are. Um and so, well, it took me a little while to get over the fact that um, Michael Nouri played um, Summer Roberts's dad in the OC. So I was oh, like, God, oh, there would have to be an OC reference. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not Springsteen, it's the OC. <laughs> well, it's all connected. Um, but so it took me a little while to go, oh yeah, that that's young him. But yeah, I, when when it got into it, and, and we were sort of hopping between different bodies, shall we say, and Trying to figure out exactly how we can get to the bottom of this mystery because it does have elements of a mystery about it. Yeah, I thought I didn't think it was as fun and as funny as as Night of the Creeps. That one, I, I it's hard to say whether I laughed at or with. I think I laughed with Night of the Creeps, whereas the Hidden is it, it leans more into to horror thrillery elements, don't you think?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think there's also a connection to the Odd Couple cop movies that you mm. had during the decade. Michael Norrie and Karl Clacklin have, you know, different approaches, different styles, different characters, which, you know, is, is similar to what we would see in 48 Hours, uh, for example. And uh, the fella who wrote uh, The Hidden, Jim Coof, also wrote um, Stake okay, which was another odd couple, cop movie with Richard Dreyfuss playing the older fella, Emilio Estevez, the, the young buck. Mm. Um, so it, it's doing that as well. I think there's a bit of yuppie satire in there. The alien is very materialistic. It wants fast cars. It wants to go to strip clubs. It wants money. It wants loud music. Mm. Maybe there's a bit of a crank in there as well, because it needs all of that to keep itself going.
1: Yeah, I, I never considered crankers there. But um, when you said Jim Coof, I was like, I, I'm sure I know that name. And I just looked and it's because uh, there was a credit on National Treasure for him as well. So, ah, Of course, yeah. Which, uh, which uh, you know, again, Sean will roll his eyes at but... You can <laughs> practically hear them rolling in my skull, can't you?
3: <laughs> but it's, it's that um, slug inside you that's controlling them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me just regurgitate that. <laughs> um, but can I just say I think this film gets everything right that Night of the Creeps got wrong, in my opinion. Um, I really enjoyed this. I thought, I've never heard of it. I, I, as I said on the trail episode, I've got no relationship with it whatsoever. But you trusted uh, in
1: the faith of the guys of the, the Forbidden World Film Festival. I, I did.
3: <laughs> uh, I always trust in the faith of you guys and i think you know in this case i really really enjoyed this it is effectively a police procedural movie crossed with an alien invasion movie it's a pre-x files movie because the x files started yeah. six years after. Yeah. yeah it yeah. is an x files episode effectively before the x files even, even existed but I there's love no that. weird smoking man in the corner that was there <laughs> no, there was no stretchy mutant coming down the, the chimney by by the name of um tombs and i i i really enjoyed this i thought I, I it it has got a terrific sense of pace there's no fat on it i like the fact that i think anthony you alluded to it earlier it has a kind of grounded feel in spite of the outlandish nature of the plot um hmm. because for the vast majority outside of two scenes you don't see what's driving the hosts you know it's just from the from the outside they just look like sociopathic human beings which I think that's actually quite a clever device just to get people behaving oddly, abhorrently, murderously in, in a variety of shocking contexts. And then that contrasts with the odd couple chemistry between McLaughlin and Nuri. And, you know, Carl McLaughlin, again, I'll go back to that word. He's got a very fey, strange quality to mm. him. And then there are... You know, you know, his backstory is, is teased out and then Michael Norrie's character really doesn't trust him at first in the classic buddy cop fashion and they start to form a bit of a connection together. as And then it's basically the straight-laced reaction of Michael Norrie's character. So, say what? What are, you, <laughs> what are you telling me is happening here? And um, I, I thought that was played really well. I really like that. <laughs> well, that's it. We, we kind
1: of need to preface of just say it again, there is other things that go on in the movie. There, There is significantly more that happens that we yeah. don't want to, to go and spoil. We want you to go and see it on the biggest screen possible, which will be the former IMAX in Bristol at The Big Scream, which will be on Friday the 13th of October 2023. The six movies that will be on show, so three on Friday, three on Saturday, will be Night of the Creeps from 1986, then Mimic from 1997, which is the director's cut, um anthony you alluded to uh, the guardian uh, mm-hmm. being shown at 9 30 on the friday as well then moving into the saturday we've got at 4 30 arachnophobia um, which we recently did alive um which was the, the follow-up movie from um, frank marshall or the next movie he directed then at 7 p.m we've got christine uh, which is the 40th anniversary re-release premiere from 1983 and um this movie uh the hidden at 9 30 as well so six movies i i've not seen all of them so i can't speak to their quality but i trust you guys um, <laughs> that there will be six movies where even if you don't necessarily like all of the plot machinations there will be fun to be had in all of them i'm sure tickets are still available on the forbidden world's website which is ForbiddenWorldsFilmFestival.co.uk. Uh, it, it's really exciting what you what you guys are doing with with Forbidden Worlds as a, a a film fan based in the Southwest. and I know Sean as a film fan based in Bristol. Just seeing the the IMAX being brought back to its former glory. Like I know you you guys have put uh, put new carpets in there recently. So uh-huh. it's uh, it's looking it's, good the, and...
2: it's the aquarium who put those in. We, we shouldn't take the the glory away from that.
1: <laughs> no, but it's so. But as a result of it being, I guess, reused a bit more. Yeah. um that yeah there's it, it, it now a call for it to go in so it's it's great to see what you guys are doing and the the screenings that you're you're putting on and the festival I hope will keep going from from strength to strength
2: well we have we have pretty much finalized the dates for may uh for next may so there will be a fifth
1: Excellent. Nice. That is good nice. news. That's that, that, is that an exclusive? Can we call that an exclusive?
2: <laughs> um, actually, I might have to like name message Tynes. So I've just mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to delete it. That's we have really to funny. sign an NDA <laughs> <laughs>
1: retrospectively. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. I'm not going to push you any further because you may end up revealing something, and I have to create more no, work no, no, for we, myself we in the edit. No, we haven't
2: programmed edits. that one yet. But like I said. Um, you know, we we all want to kind of keep the the Halloween one, the Halloween one in a way is is to remind people that we're still here, um, yeah. and then the May one is is the big blowout.
1: The beautiful thing is it lined up this year with being Friday the thirteenth of October, so um, it's nice and yeah. easy to to remember. Nice and easy for everyone to know. Go and you know I've mentioned the website a few times. Um, it's in the show notes, so do go along and just you know pop a get a ticket for a movie go in say hello uh if you see uh uh, mostly because i will unfortunately be unable to attend um any of the screenings but if you see anyone involved then do pop along and say hello because it would be great to uh great to see people uh it just leaves me to say thank you very much for your time anthony as i've mentioned i know it's a busy time um so sandwiching us in uh, last thing on a Sunday night shall we say <laughs> um, thank you very much for, for doing so um, we, we always try to do what we can to to help the Forbidden Worlds Film Festival because as I mentioned Sean and I as massive film fans it's great to see what you guys are doing and as you you said we, we trust your tastes and we go you know what I've never heard of that and even going into these two films I went I, I've never heard of either of them let's just go Let's. I won't even see what the plots are. I'll just trust and go with it. So um, there's always a good time to be had.
2: Yeah. No. Thanks for having me. It's been a. It's been a pleasure. Even if it has been late on a Sunday night. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I know, hey, I got to talk about Carl McLaughlin and Space Slugs, so I'm i happy. So I would mean, do that. <laughs> do that recently. One thing I did yeah. want to
1: mention is this is definitely a precursor to Men in Black, right? The hidden. You wouldn't get was... Men in Black without the hidden. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no. I was going to say the um, the the uh, the second host um, when he's beginning to falter, shall we say, mm. and can't quite walk. That's very Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. Um, hey, this is my truck
3: guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, the um, the score by Michael Convertino sounds like somebody playing Space Invaders overlaid with a piano, which which I really loved. Um, <laughs> mm. So mm. it really sounded someone like frantically button bashing, and just mixing a few piano chords in there. But it was very effective, and um, and obviously all the all the heavy metal influence in there as well. I love so, how we, um,
1: we veered so far off point talking about
3: the vessel. We oh yes, this this about the film as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I don't think we actually resolved our thoughts on it. I mean, just to say,
3: of the two films that we're talking about, uh, Forbidden Worlds, uh, Big Scream, I loved the Hidden. That that mm. was the what that was the one that I liked.
1: But so, the, I mean, there are five other movies in total and four other movies that Sean might like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no
1: pressure. Do go, yeah, do, um, do go and check that out. But um, thank you once again, Anthony. Um, where can people find the, the Film Festival online?
2: Um, so we're on all of the social medias, pretty much. Not TikTok, because we're too old for that. But, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, you and me, are animals. <laughs> um, but we're on Instagram, FW Film Festival. We're on Twitter. We're at the same handle, and Facebook at the same handle as well.
1: Excellent. So um, all of that is within the show notes. So people do feel free to, uh, to, to follow and keep up, because you, know, you never know what you guys are going to do in the future. We always say that we're a proud part of the We Made This podcast network. You can find uh, more about the network on pretty much all the social media platforms um, as at We Made This podcast network. Uh, all the information on finding the network is within the show notes. Uh, you can also find us on uh, social media as at frame to Frame Pod. Again, it's there in the show notes. Next week, we will be talking about Shakespeare adaptations And we will be joined by fellow We Made This podcaster who is on uh, the podcasts We Are Starfleet, Illumination Above All, and The Way. We'll be joined by Ian Buckley discussing Shakespeare adaptations. But until next week, I'm Andy Williams. And I'm Sean Wilson. And I'm Anthony Neild. And please continue on listening to hear another great show from the We Made This podcast network.
0: See you at Forbidden Worlds. Art changes over time. This might feel weird to say because the art itself doesn't physically change, but if we agree that art tells us something about the world around us, what happens to that art once the world has changed? This is the question we try to answer on Movieversaries, a film podcast on the We Made This Network. I'm the host, Bo Nicholson, and in each episode my guests and I celebrate and re-evaluate films on significant anniversaries. We examine films from all over the world through a critical lens to determine if they stand the test of time by exploring their themes, performances and techniques. This year, our focus is on movies made in years ending in three. So far we've covered the avant-garde classic Meshes of the Afternoon from 1943. On the other end of the spectrum, how does the technical marvel Jurassic Park hold up 30 years later? We also delve into other iconic films of their time such as King Kong from 1933, Eight and a Half from 1963 and Return of the Jedi from 1983. From European art house to action, comedy and horror, if a film is celebrated